Time for Twitter, episode 294. Jenny Jardin is here. Marshall Kirkpatrick from Read Write Web. And Baratunde Thurston to talk about the latest tech news, including information from Japan about the nuclear reactors. We'll talk about the CTIA, the latest cell phone news, and a whole lot more. Twit is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for this week in tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Twit is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twit, this week in tech. Episode 294, recorded March 27th, 2011. As Kanye says, so bam! This Week in Tech is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look more professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. And by Audible.com. Sign up for the Platinum Plan and get two free books. Go to Audible.com slash Twit2. And don't forget to follow Audible on Twitter. User ID Audible underscore com. And by Carbonite. Backing up the files on your PC or Mac is safe and easy with Carbonite. For a free trial plus two free months with purchase, go to Carbonite.com. Offer code TWIT. It's time for TWIT, the show that covers the computer and technology news. I, I don't even, shouldn't even say computer. I don't think we have one computer story in here, ever. Technology news, I guess. Uh, joining me now, a great panel. We've been had some great panels the last few weeks, and I credit our uh, producer Eileen Rivera for putting these together. Starting with from Read Write Web, Marshall Kirkpatrick. Hello, Marshall. Hey, Leo. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. This is going to be a challenging pronunciation job all round. Read Write Web. Then from Boing Boing, I can say that. Shenny Jardin. Did I get your name right? You got it. Perfectly. All right. Hi, Leo. Hey, it's great to have you back. She's drinking like, matcha today, so she said if she gets a green mustache, we'll, we'll tell her. It's okay, to, it's okay to have a green mustache. <laughs> and the author of a book which is soon to come out in the next few months, How to Be Rebecca Black, it's Baratunde <laughs> Thurston. Am I right? Uh, you're wrong on so many levels, but it's so much fun. <laughs> it's not too I'm, late. <laughs> I'm not going to correct anything. That was, uh, that was an amazing introduction. Also from The Onion. <laughs> what, you know, don't you want to kind of change it now and say how to be Rebecca Black? Wouldn't that sell better? Uh, I have a thing called artistic integrity. Leo, oh, dear. And I'm not going to put that oh, on some... Oh, dear. <laughs> no, I'm not going to change the title of my book. It'll be out in the future. That's all I'm committing to. Uh, and when it's out, you'll definitely know. I can't wait. <laughs> I do want to. I do feel like Jerry Lewis that we should have a talk board here and say, let's roll the numbers. 50, 57, 58 million hits now for Friday, yeah. Friday. Well, there was one comment that I saw on the video today. It was uh, great. It said, we have collectively spent 412 years oh, Jesus. watching this video. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> That's a commentary. Not to mention, I mean, if you tallied up all the uh, hits for the. I mean, some of the some of the parodies. There's a one parody, uh, the Bob Dylan parody. I think has 1.7 million views. Nice. So you tally them all up, it, it really is the entire collective conscience of consciousness of America has been devoted to this 13-year-old's song for the last two weeks. 
all of Shakespeare's monkeys banging out in the kitchen. <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> that's so what you Clay, get. Clay Shirky says mm -hmm. it used to be gin, then it was Desperate Housewives, and now the internet's supposed to open us up to, uh, to Wikipedia edits, right? That's what we're supposed to spend our time on? Everybody's coming, baby! And this is what they do. They make a, So it was a bat mitzvah video that went wrong, very wrong. <laughs> Uh, and people have, I mean, I, you know, she was on Leno. Uh, she seems like a very nice 13-year-old girl who just got caught in the, um, in the internet meme machine and is being ground up by the gears right now. It's just amazing. Better that than you done goofed. Yeah. It could be worse. You're right. Sort mm. of. Uh, there are real stories. In fact, Jenny, you've been covering the, uh, the nuclear uh, uh, disaster in uh, Japan and one of the things I've noted before um, is how hard it is to get real information about this. I mean, the Japanese government's not being very helpful here, but everybody seems to have an axe to grind. What's the latest from Fukushima? Well, you know, what, one of the things that we've been doing, uh, Maggie Kurth Baker, Boing Boing Science Editor, and I have been teaming up on this. And, you know, when, when stories this big and this science-focused happen, uh, we, we feel like uh, Boing Boing is a, a special venue where we're able to explore those things without having to apologize yes. for being technically specific and yes. for taking time to talk to scientists, to talk to experts. Uh, Maggie's done an amazing job with um, sorting through that data and being skeptical of sources and helping our readers, our viewers, sort through what's true, what's been, uh, and, and frankly, doing the job that um, cable news networks ought to be doing a better job of. Just over the weekend, there was this report that came out uh, from TEPCO saying, well, uh, radioactivity levels are 10 million times what's normal in this one reactor building. And then the following morning, uh, Los Angeles time, they they redacted that, they retracted that statement and said, well, actually, we meant 100,000 times. Uh, it, it's really interesting, the, the level of... Uh, the, the lack of transparency uh, in any story involving uh, you know, large power companies, large energy companies, that, that's something that we've grown to expect. The BP disaster taught us that. But, right. but between the government of Japan and TEPCO and uh, all the sort of fear-mongering that's happening, this is a really, really tough story to, to get your head around. Is it, have you reached some sort of consensus uh, in doing all of this research? Don't trust energy companies and don't trust the government. <laughs> Another and meme that's been going around is that giant <laughs> cube of how many people have died from coal and then the little teeny weeny cube of how many people have died uh, from nuclear well, power. And I think the third lesson is don't necessarily trust science because science too is not necessarily objective. An engineer with an axe to grind, maybe somebody uh, at right. a university somewhere who has received lots of funding from the nuclear industry, may really have a strong motivation, financial motivation, to downplay the risk of radioactivity, to downplay the, the potential disaster that, that is still unfolding here. Uh, but on the other hand, you have people uh, freaking out and buying iodine tablets uh, on the other side of the world and uh, perhaps even impacting the supply for people in Japan who, who will need them first. There's also the issue, and I've read some blog posts on this, of, um, of uh, aid groups raising considerable amount of money to, to aid Japan when in fact Japan doesn't really want any help or need any help. What, what, what have you learned about that? We've been doing a series of webcasts with 
people inside Japan, bloggers and journalists who we know and, and pay a lot of attention to uh, just generally. And what we're hearing is that, yes, absolutely, there is help acutely needed in the northern part of the country. The, the numbers of dead and missing are growing by the day. This is a disaster of unprecedented uh, proportions. And, and remember here, we're just talking about people so far who were uh, who were harmed by the quake and the tsunami. We we don't know what could unfold yet with the nuclear crisis. But what we're hearing is that, um, you know, you have to remember that just sort of throwing money at really large global aid organizations doesn't necessarily get help on the ground right there where it's needed right now. And it's 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 a little bit more complicated than one might imagine. Yeah. I mean, this is not a poor country. This is not Haiti. It's not Haiti. Yeah. yeah. Right. One of the, uh, I've got uh, some friends who live in Tokyo. Actually, when I was there a year and a half ago for the Discovery Science Future show, I uh, spent a good amount of time with them. So I've been watching her Facebook status updates. And what they are, they're doing a lot of local organization. It's not about raising money, but they're building hygiene kits is one thing that uh, I just wouldn't have thought of because I've never been in such a drastic situation. So they're asking people in the region, send Ziploc bags. They're putting together you know, towels, toothbrush, toothpaste, because there's so many people who've been displaced. And uh, that's a very meaningful contribution. The, the other thought that I have, and I'm, I've not been following this as closely as is possible, because there's so much stuff blowing up around the world, but I saw this in the chat room, and kind of as a joke, but Japan does love its robots, and if there were ever a time for robots to like, you know, do what they've been designed to do, like this is it, like come on robots, do your thing. They've been doing some robotic stuff, I know, yeah. both in the nuclear but like uh, plants, but also in uh, search and rescue uh, as well. Yeah. You know, I, I would just add, too, one of the things that we've observed uh, as Maggie and I have been comparing notes and, and sort of trading links back and forth and trying to sort through what's really happening and what to report to our readers. A, a lot of what the story has taught us is that the really large news organizations, uh, the large news organizations here in the U.S., do wildly varying jobs of, no of telling it like it is. And no I, I just have to be blunt here. Watching CNN domestic, uh, CNN US, it's just been utterly pathetic. Uh, when there was major news breaking, they were they were running stories that had been debunked nine hours after yeah. they debunked and, and ran on Twitter, yeah. uh, ran on, on Japanese news. Uh, I spent a lot of time monitoring uh, TEPCO and uh, uh, press conferences from TEPCO, from the Japan Nuclear Safety Administration, uh, from other entities in Japan, uh, there were these links that were being traded around where uh, on Ustream you could, you could watch sort of an array of six different television channels, from the BBC to NHK to Kyoto News. Uh, monitoring that with English translations, uh, monitoring the print Japanese language news, monitoring Twitter feeds, that turned out uh, for me and for Maggie, I think, to be uh, some of the best sources of news. And then just reaching out to people who are there or reaching out to nuclear scientists who could help us parse what was happening. The, th this is such a science story and science in media in America is, is just it's, it's pathetic. It's been abandoned in favor of you know, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, it really is a shame. Um... But good, you know, that there are outlets like Boing Boing who, who are willing to focus on that. Well, I feel like that was kind of our mission, too. We have a technologically literate audience. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we did as good a job as, as we would like to, and it's something that we're going to uh, really focus on is building a better news division so we can cover this kind of stuff from a technically literate point of view and assume uh, an audience that is intelligent. Uh, so that hey, and, and Leo, as, as Kanye says, 
it's a process. <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't I wanted to know if you guys had seen this uh, seen this other story uh, out of Japan on Badass of the Week. It's a website that celebrates badass human beings doing badass things. And it's about this guy who, you know, got separated from his wife right after the tsunami, got a bunch of scuba gear and, you know, waterproof lighting and went back in underwater, searching through his flooded town, found his wife like in their apartment, just barely breathing, Amazing. brought her back to safety, then went back and got his mother. Um, doing the same thing, and now he just keeps going back day in and day out. It's, it's amazing. It's like Japanese yeah. MacGyver, yeah. you know, a hero character. It kind of there was that, and then there was one comment from a nuclear, uh, someone who worked at one of the facilities saying, you know, I'm willing to die to prevent a meltdown, and uh, it just makes it one of those comments like, if you hate your job right now, you really need to keep that to yourself. Yeah. Because uh, you, you, these you are people going through serious stuff. You guys know Joey Ito, I'm sure. His oh, yes. sister. Uh, yeah. Mizuko Ito, Mimi Ito. She's a cultural anthropologist based here in LA. She does a lot of work on uh, youth and mobile devices. Fascinating woman. She uh, and I were trading emails about this series of reports uh, coming out of Japan in uh, in Mainichi, in Asahi, in uh, Kyoto News, where th over the weekend, just this weekend, you're starting to see this this sort of swell of criticism and anger for the lack of security measures, the lack of safety measures and monitoring for uh, the so-called Fukushima 50 or 100, for, for the workers who are inside the plant doing the uh, heroic and horrifying job of uh, trying to keep this from turning into a, an exponentially worse disaster. They're, they're literally putting their lives on the line. And there's great criticism that TEPCO has a long history of lying about safety measures and, uh, and, and faulty safety measures for their workers. This is, uh, I think, the most poignant example of this. There's one report where a doctor who, in a previous nuclear disaster in Japan, had treated a lot of radiation victims. He came out very, very critical of TEPCO, critical of the government, but specifically of TEPCO for not monitoring these guys constantly and not providing better safety. Hours later, after that criticism was published in a, in a big report, it was taken out. Mimi found that. She pointed us to it. She helped us translate it. Uh, small steps like that uh, in, in outlets like Boing Boing that reach a wide audience here in the States, I think, are, are very helpful in um, you know, helping to provide context and, and seeing sort of what the sentiment on the ground is like over there. You know, I, I think that it really may, you know, we say this every time, but every time you get more and more of a sense that the mainstream traditional news sources are not very useful and that um, there is a really, a, but, but there is something to replace it, uh, yeah. which, which is really kind of exciting. And that if people do have the interest, they can get all this information and you can watch NHK on Ustream and you can watch yeah. Al Jazeera and you can, you know, you can, you can go to Twitter and you can find out uh, people like A. Carvin, his coverage of not just Japan, but of, uh, of what's going on in, uh, in the Arab nations. Andy Carvin's amazing. It's amazing. Guys amazing. Yeah. 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 He, needs, he needs a raise in a Pulitzer. <laughs> you just wrote, uh, Marshall Kirkpatrick was at the CTIA uh, this week. You wrote an article uh, for Read, Write, Web. Whoop, I lost your picture. There we go, Marshall. Uh -oh. uh, here's, here's the article for Read, Write, Web. Uh, Rights Watchdog says, Mobile Web would have changed Nazi Germany. And it's interesting to kind of reimagine what history would have been like and what and, and how it how it may never again you may may be able to get away with that kind of thing because of the harsh uh, light of uh, of the internet. Can you tell us what he said? Oh, uh, it was uh, the the director of Human Rights Watch, yeah. uh, Kenneth Roth, and he was uh, discussing 
the the way that so many atrocities have been hidden from the world uh, throughout history and yet now today thanks to wireless and mobile technologies he's able to have people uh, on his staff and uh, stringers from the the general public uh, communicating live from some of the most repressive situations in the world uh, despite government efforts to shut down those communication channels, they're just unable to, and and that really, really changes things. Of course, there's the, the flip side of it, which is that our uh, there is so much going on that our attention is now uh, moving very, very quickly. I mean, not only is the news cycle instantaneous, but our attention span has gotten shorter and right. shorter. So, oh, Japan, that was three weeks ago. Right. Uh, <laughs> or Haiti, that was a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Or Haiti, we that was a year that ago. Kind of yeah. Memory. Yeah. I got a yeah. quick technical uh, needly. I'm gonna reboot my Skype. It's taking up like 100% processor, and you guys are all sounding like Cylons. But even though I'm sure you don't, right? You're not really Cylons. Take care. So, we are Cylons. Can you, can you call me back when I I'll, boot I'll back call, up? I'll, Thank yes, you. Yes, I will. We have as, a plan. As Kanye says, <laughs> it's a processor. <laughs> if you, I hope you say that every like 10 minutes. It's a processor. <laughs> I think we got the title of the show. No, but that's include as Kanye says. As Kanye says. Yeah. All right, I'll be right back. All right, Baratunde. Yeah, we'll get you right back. Yeah, in just a minute. Um, let's let's take a break. We're going to come back, uh, get Baratunde back on, um, and uh, talk a little bit more about CTIA because there was some. I know it almost feels dumb to talk about gadgets after you talk about these serious world issues, but there's stuff going on there. Gadgets too. are part of how we communicate about these serious yeah, world issues. That's right. Yeah. It's all. It's 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 a tool. As, Con as, Kanye as Kanye says. <laughs> but, you know, if Kanye were here right now, I'm sure he'd be saying, whenever I send invoices, I send them from FreshBooks.com. It's easy. Online invoice. Actually, we're, we're big fans of FreshBooks. When, uh, if you are invoicing people, you know that it's actually one of the most painful things in the world is to do invoices. FreshBooks will turn you around. You will love invoicing. You upload your logo. FreshBooks lets you do it on the web. There's an iPhone app that will actually track your hours if you do uh, hourly uh, billing and will port it right into an invoice there. you got to love that. Uh, it's free for the first three clients. You have to love that. And if you, if you have clients, and I know there are a few out there who say, well, I appreciate the email invoice, but can you please mail me a paper invoice? They'll even do that for you. Not free. You have to pay for the postage. It's a small fee. But they literally will print the invoice, stamp it, and mail it for you. Now, here's the part I like the best. They put a button on that email that says pay right now, or you can even have your client schedule regular payments. Believe it or not, a lot of clients like the idea of just saying, oh, yeah, as soon as I get an invoice from this guy, pay him, and it'll happen automatically. You can, they can use a credit card. They can use up to 11 online payment services like PayPal, Authorize.net, Tuco, and on and on and on. If they don't pay, late payment reminders are automatic as well. You couldn't get easier than this. If you're a freelancer, if you've got to invoice, please do yourself a favor and check out FreshBooks. It's free. FreshBooks.com. Over 2 million folks have started using FreshBooks since I started in 2004. It's really grown, and it is just fantastic. Every day, by the way, FreshBooks is giving away a birthday cake to one of our audience members. doesn't even have to be your birthday. Just sign up for FreshBooks, and a cake could be on its way. All right, let me see if I can get Baratunde back here. You think he's? You think he's had time to reboot? One never knows. Depends on the boot. Depends on the processor. <laughs> Have a little matcha on me. We'll see. Oh yeah. He's oh yeah. I raise, 
I raised my mug to you. That's a massive mug. What is it? What is that mug? Oh, it's pretty. Uh, it's like a, a Japanese mug, huh? Traditional yeah. Japanese mug, or as I call it, my tea trough. <laughs> All right, everybody's hydrating. Yes. yes. Uh, let me ask Marshall, what was, uh, you know, you, you were at CTIA, which is the big cell phone uh, conference uh, this year. What was, uh, anything you came away with of interest? Oh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. The... <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need to remember to smile when I say things like that. Uh, it, it was remarkably well run. Uh, the content on stage, I thought, was really engaging. Um, the Aren't these guys at each other's throats at this point, though? I mean, uh, the T-Mobile uh, acquisition. and Oh, yeah, it was great. Jim Cramer got on stage and interviewed the CEOs of, of Verizon Sprint and AT&T and you know, talked about the T-Mobile acquisition and, and the Sprint CEO just came out swinging. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, which, was, which was great. And then Kramer said, so why does the video stream always stop working on uh, my, huh? my iPad? I've got all three of you here to, you know, who's going to fix it? And, and I thought that was refreshingly frank. And, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was quite enjoyable. One of my primary areas of interest uh, in that world is uh, about web-connected devices, about sensors being put all over the place in uh, what's called the Internet of Things. And that just kept coming up over and over again. Uh, oh, come on. They can't even get us enough bandwidth for our phones. Now they want our refrigerators to be online? That's a big part of, yeah. That's, yeah. They say <laughs> that uh, that's why they need all the more spectrum. Marshall, so. did at any point when uh, Kramer was hosting this conversation, I assume there was a camera on a jib constantly moving <laughs> and the audience. How, how You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I, he he was terrific. He was super professional. <laughs> it, actually, that's the kind of guy you should get for something like this, because otherwise. Uh, these guys are mealy-mouthed, these executives. You have to get somebody to sit down and start yelling at them or they're not going to say anything at all. Did they talk about Spectrum? Because I guess that's really, oh, that's the issue constantly. right now. Yeah. yeah, CTIA is not some, like, neutral host for, a, you know, a nice little industry conference. It's a, an advocacy organization. And Spectrum, 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 we want the federal government to intervene and give us more Spectrum uh, was the drum they just kept beating over and over and over again. Uh, FCC Chairman Julius Janikowski was there as well, and I understand he's talked about Spectrum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. They, I, I can only assume there's going to be a major reallocation sometime they're, real soon. They're talking about uh, about 500 megahertz of wireless Spectrum that will be, they hope, available in the next uh, 10 years. Um, well, the, de the demand is just too much time. already climbing so fast, and it's just going to climb faster especially if some of the predictions that, that people are making come true. You know, the, the CEO of Ericsson said there are, oh, what did he say? I believe there are 4 billion mobile subscribers around the world today, and they expect there to be 50 billion uh, mobile devices be above and beyond human subscribers, uh, but, you know, multiple phones per person and sensors all over the place. And it's, you know, if they can pull that off, it's going to require... It's interesting because, I mean, they're building in higher, higher, you know, 4G into all the new phones. They're higher and higher speed. We want more speed, but it seems like the infrastructure is woefully behind. I mean, anybody who has AT&T and an iPhone is well, suffering. Hopefully we'll find a way. I mean, we hit these new levels 
of su supply and demand and how they work out. And we discover whole new ways to get things done. Like not until all of your friends have mobile phones does your social use of mobile technology take this exponential leap. And so when all of our devices are also connected, we'll hit a new way of generating, you know, bandwidth demand. Hopefully on the networking side and the network planners at these companies and within the, the policy wing of the government will also hit some new level of supply that can match the demand that's being created by this unanticipated kind of network effect yeah. on top of a network. It's a, it's a fun and hard challenge. Like the other day I wanted my oven to be connected <laughs> just because, uh, no, it was a very legitimate thing. We had the daylight savings or the, whatever the thing, and I have to set the clock twice a year. That's like, that's a machine should do that. It is I'm a, a pain. We're so spoiled now. Earth. Every... I was not put on this earth to set a digital clock. A digital <laughs> controller a can do that. You my know? car like, knew what time it was. It. My phones, yeah. my computer, everything knew what time it was. Except my for, oven. for our oven. Opting so out. To, that's not cool. Fall in line, oven. Fall in line. <laughs> this public venue may not be the most graceful way for me to bring up this issue with you, but I, I just I need to get it off my chest. No, I think my, it's a bad time, Shetty. I've been waiting my, for you. I've been waiting for you to bring this yeah, up. Go ahead. My refrigerator is <laughs> deeply offended that your microwave has not accepted its Facebook friend. <laughs> and the toaster yeah. is heartbroken that you're not following it on, on uh, Twitter. So, so here, I, here's the thing, Shetty. <laughs> Speaking as a representative of my microwave, uh, I, I have to say, like, we had some challenging situations in the past where my microwave became friends with a lot of other devices mm. across the world. Mm -hmm. And it's it complicated. This was device. It's it complicated. On its task of heating my food and was trying to get on these lists and wanted to be retweeted. And it just got very ugly. So I decided uh, as an executive decision, uh, no friends outside the home. Uh -huh. you know, not until you prove that uh -huh. you can handle my, my needs uh, could it start talking to your devices. I of course, once a refrigerator my... is 13 years old or older, it's okay. Well, you know, I would give it an account on Bebo to start, but I'm not going to go put my <laughs> fridge on, face, on, on Facebook. It's too much. 500 million people is way too much trouble. You know, it's 600 million people, but people don't really realize that. It's also 200 million appliances. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I you think know, that's you, something you Mark's... <laughs> you laugh, and it's it's great. It's funny. I uh, I got to do an interview with a with a, one of the most respected analysts in the field, a guy named Chetan Sharma, whose research was cited in the opening keynote, et cetera, et cetera. And he dropped a mention of sensors in cereal boxes. And I said, now why on earth would I want a network connected cereal box? And oh, he dude, said, I'll well, you. Know, you could share things, you could do social stuff, nutritional information, but the cereal company wants to know when the box is almost empty. So they can prompt you online to order some direct from them and cut out the whole retail middleman. Peapod was ahead of its time. So well, and diapers.com now represents a huge percentage of, of all the diapers bought and sold in the world. You're kidding. <laughs> no. People no, buy yeah. diapers online? This is like a big thing? Why wouldn't they? It's huge. Oh, yeah. Amazon is... is uh, Seems like you just go to the buying. store, they got a shelf full, and you have them, and now they're I yours. And Wait a minute. Is, is Leo Laporte the, the, the don of digital? <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, suggesting <laughs> that people not, not conduct an online transaction, but instead go to their corner store we, and pick something physical we, up off the shelf? You want to know the truth? Now, this was a long time ago because my kids are now teenagers, but we had a truck come and, and deliver... Uh, cloth diapers when they were little. And, and how does your milk arrive at your home, Leo? Is there also a Oh, man, I, don't you miss the milkman? <laughs> or are you I all too young? Man. You all are too young to remember the milkman. 
Five that was awesome. Was, uh, it was called the grocery store. No, was, there was a guy. They would come around. He'd have a little truck. He'd have a little. You'd hear. You know, it was morning because you'd hear the tinkle, tinkle of the bottles as the milkman walked up the drive and left milk for you in a box. Here's They're not. A, I have Australians in the studio. Is, is Australia? They still have milkmen. See, they still have milkmen in Canberra. Well, yeah, but they also have really bad broadband. Uh, That's true. I they don't have a choice. There. I had a great time, but uh, the, the infrastructure for Internet there is not robust, uh, shall we say. Blame the government. Uh, this connected device thing is, is really uh, interesting. I mean, I worked on a project back when I had my corporate consulting days trying to think about some of these applications. If you could imagine before you leave your home getting the most informed, you know, commuting traffic report possible, not based on a helicopter or traffic lights or some sort of uh, AM, FM, you know, signal radio system, but rather from every Cars. human being. No, no, yeah. not just every car, every Cars. cell phone, every yeah. cyclist, you know, whatever path. They know that take. information because that I've got a GPS. Every, yeah, th that information's there. I mean, every cell phone company knows exactly how fast I'm going down the highway right exactly. now. Exactly. So there's a, there's, a, there's a business model in it. There's information in it. There's uh, massive privacy violations waiting to be exploited. <laughs> uh, so let's just jump in and have fun, guys. I was, I was going to say, all this talk of self-monitoring cereal boxes makes me think of uh, the, the fact that now is a great time to donate to the EFF again. I mean, there you go. Remember, remember like when 9-11 when happened, we started hearing these reports about yeah. how Homeland Security was looking at who bought falafel and hummus. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. I don't know. The but you know what, Jenny? Greater Greater surveillance always, um, you know, it, it, it takes a while for social norms to develop and for the civil liberties questions to, to first be asked and then to, to be sorted out. So it's it's interesting. You've got a collision here, though, because you've got, you know, as Marshall said, this CEO of Ericsson saying, you know, there'll be 50 billion connected non-phone devices in the next 10 years. And, and, and I think there's going to be a, a strong case for a cereal box that's connected and, and all of that stuff and cars that are connected. And and I just I think, want mine encrypted. That's I understand. I, I understand, but that's counter to because if you encrypt yours, then I don't have your traffic information. Well, maybe I don't want you to have it. Well, but I think that that's what is a big collision. Maybe, or maybe there's wait, wait. an anonymized version that doesn't say that I'm in the car. Maybe, but I think I Sh think Shani, in the long run, Shani, I wanna, it's too much I trouble. Which which any cereal box has to hide? Like what's what's going on there? <laughs> if, at, the fact at, that it's if actually box isn't doing anything illegal, it should have no I, problem. As Eric Schmidt said, that's right. If your cereal <laughs> box is not breaking any laws, yeah, it shouldn't. You know. Well, unfortunately, we've already had more conversation about privacy concerns regarding the Internet of Things than almost any other media outlet I've seen uh, yet. And it's it's going to be a hugely disruptive social change. So I, I agree completely that that conversation's got to happen. You, don't, you guys don't think the horse has left the barn? It's too late. The horse has left the barn, but it has an electronic tag on its barn. <laughs> so we know where it's going. Yeah. I just feel like that th this is this is this conversation as important as it is is it's over now because everybody's going to want the benefits of all this stuff and it's only a handful we're going to be crusty old codgers going i Whoa. want my privacy well and here's what's mm. Credit what, card what, information. What if you thought about it this way? With all this, you know, we talked about, uh, I missed uh, some of the discussion about what might have happened in Nazi Germany if there were some of these connected tools. But if you are uh, a horrific, occasionally uh, quirky, mostly badass, uh, bad dictator person or regime, and you want to know where people are gathering and, you know, before they even know where they're gathering, you pull all that data, you see where all the mobile phones are headed as nodes in your little network, and you preempt 
their ability to gather and you section them off from one another, you, pretend, you prevent that ability to come together as a, as a mass group and feed off of their own energy uh, and perhaps prevent your own overthrow. Uh, even though those tools can be used against you, they can also be used against the people trying to use them sure. against you. Forget so. the dictators. There were 8 million ped register warrants in the U.S. in 2007 alone. I mean, this is happening yeah. right now. If, uh, if you're in law enforcement, Sprint has a portal for you. You just go there and say, where was Baratunde on Tuesday? In fact, oh. send me, email me where Baratunde was. I hear he's at playgrounds a lot. Email oh, me, God. email me uh, from now on. Where just tell me every five minutes where Baratunde is. There's no, you don't even need a court order to do that. It's not your. This is weird, but your GPS location is currently not considered information. It's not content, so they don't need a warrant to get it. I just, I need to clarify this playground thing because you just, you're throwing things out. There. <laughs> It was a softball tournament. For those of you listening live, for those of you who are going to hear this uh, Tuesday afternoon, um, I checked into Union Square, a, a public venue in New York City full of adults and, uh, and reasonable activities like buying uh, squash. And there happens to be a playground there. And I checked into the square so many times that Foursquare gave me this playground badge. He's the mayor. I, I'm not, I was never the mayor. I was never the mayor. <laughs> Uh, I was Mayor Delicatessen. I was actually, yo, I was, I've been nominated for Foursquare Mayor of the Year. What? For, for a Shorty Award. Yeah. For like, just because you should be the mayor of everywhere. Well, no, because I had a campaign last year. My friend Jennifer McNulty and I decided to take Foursquare Mayorship as a legitimate political activity. I, I, yes, and, uh, absolutely. So we had a 30-day period, and we set rules. You had to be physically present to check in. We made up drinks and put them on the menu. That was her innovation. <laughs> I, uh, I, I held a rally across the street. Uh, in support of my campaign and, and the beliefs that you know my, my team brought to the table. We had an inauguration when she ousted me. It was a beautiful uh, affair. So, but to, no, look, we just segued from talking about privacy to a guy who wants to tell everybody exactly where he is as often as possible, so he can be the mayor of the world. Slow down. So, is there a conflict? You've you've added a, a couple of things that I didn't say. So, I don't share everywhere I am with everyone all the time. You Every want control of, of it. Every one of those is moderated. I share yes. my location occasionally with certain yes. audiences, certain times, and, uh, and to a certain level of specificity. So that level of control is something that's part of my personal data management, which I think we're Got all going to have to start dealing with, Got just it. like you do with your financial management, your, your food and, and clothing and housing, which you, your data management is going to be a part of your life, uh, or should be. That, now, that's okay. That's a great distinction. So it's, a, it's an opt-in. It's, it's an opt-in, but it's, it's more than an opt-in. It's an opt-in with sort of... Uh, your ability to shape, mm -hmm. you know, what amount and, and through what outlets and at what frequency this information, though not content legally, but, you know, should be considered content about you, is able to be released. I, I think that's got to be a part of this connected network of things and people interacting with things. Otherwise, uh, there's going to be a lot more horrific and embarrassing incidents to come. We might not get over it. So it sounds like there's a few things that any privacy manifesto would demand. One is that you have you, you have choice of how your data is used. The other is you can demand it be either withheld or anonymized, effectively anonymized. Right. Although we've learned that anonymization isn't very effective because whenever search engine results are handed out, people immediately... What was it, AOL that gave the data set? Or no, it was ask.com, gave a data set mm -hmm. to researchers, and a reporter in Florida took the data set and said, oh, yeah, that's that lady. <laughs> they found her. Uh, and the completely anonymized data set, so I don't know. I, I just, I feel like most people will have given up by the time your cereal box has an internet connection. <laughs> it will just be, 
What are we going to do? You know, I, I might predict that there will be a backlash, that there will be sort of mm. another round of growing concern about what all of that means and and what what that means for identity, what that means for culture. Um, I'm hearing more and more, like here in L.A., I met a filmmaker uh, a couple weeks ago who was involved in a big, important, award-winning documentary, and, and she said that the, the next project that the same team was working on was about privacy, hmm. digital privacy. Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously, at uh, Boing Boing with, with Corey on board and with all of the reporting that we do about um, civil liberties and what these issues mean for human rights workers, for activists in other countries, it's something that we care a lot about. Right. I mean, I, I remember seeing some, some tweets just last night with uh, people like uh, Jake Applebaum, uh, one of the volunteers with the Tour Project in WikiLeaks, who was saying, if you're in Syria, you have to know that if you're connecting to the internet with Firefox, if you're doing this, if you're doing that, your government is monitoring all of this traffic. And uh, some of the tools that are put out there to help people, you know, it's, it's more complicated than just downloading a tool. Right. So One the of the, uh, the oh, sorry, go ahead, Marshall. The, the flip side of this is that hopefully uh, when more and more of this data is made quantifiable and accessible, it can be made accessible in a way that can also be leveraged for social justice and to illuminate uh, things that are unfair and more rationally planned, uh, allocation of resources, stuff like that. The, the example that I had used historically is about real estate redlining, where when the U.S. Census data and the bank home loan application data were both first available for computational analysis, people were able, able to cross-reference those data sets and prove demonstrate that there was a, a pattern of discrimination against African-American families in home loan applications across major cities uh, all around the United States. So I think that there's, there's probably going to be really big opportunities of, of comparable importance uh, when, when we have this, this living census of our devices and our social mm -hmm. network data and what have you able to be cross-referenced with other data sets. Dude, I, I love the phrase living census. That's a great concept. Yeah. Hash, hashtag it up. Yeah. Uh, one other story from CTIA, then we'll uh, move on. Um, it didn't take long for Google to jump ship since uh, AT&T is acquiring T-Mobile from T-Mobile to Sprint. They announced a, uh, the next Google phone will be a Sprint phone. Uh, and Sprint announced that they were going to use Google Voice for their uh, messaging um, which I think is, is great news. Anything to say about that, Marshall? You know, to be honest, I have, have never really gotten into Google Voice. Oh, I love it. Oh. Uh, what? I, I need someone to explain to me why I'm, I've got, I, maybe it's because I'm privileged to have gotten grandfathered into unlimited data on my, my iPhone back from the old days, but it, uh, it just doesn't do much for me. Do you like right. Google Voice, Spiriton? Do you like the Google Voice? Let, let, I, I not only like Google Voice, I love Google Voice. It has enhanced the quality of my life. I do not work for Google Voice, but I'll tell you, first of all, the head of Google Voice is a guy named Vincent Paquette, which I like to pronounce Packet, which I think is cool. They should have a telecom service. Your last name is Packet, so I'm already supportive. I was using Google Voice from the days it was Grand Central, and back in, I think, 2006, and the idea of having 
more control. Again, we're getting back to this issue of micro-controlling your digital existence to be able to give out a number, to have some redundancy to your numeric identity in the world. So if I give out a cell phone number that's tied to a network and a device, I lose that device. It's very hard for me to pick up messaging right. attached to that device without getting a new device from that same carrier. Hopefully they're open, maybe it happens at 4 in the morning. I'm out of luck, especially with, with text messaging. Those don't forward. You know, text messaging goes into a black hole. You hope it gets through, essentially. But unlike a voicemail or a call, you can't reroute that. So the benefits for me of Google Voice, you know, routing the phone to other phones is great. Being able to make calls from my computer has saved a lot of minutes because I'm usually on a fast Internet connection. I'd rather use the IP connection than a, a telephony connection. But the text messaging, being able to search my text messages over time, being able to send messages from a computer, and if I'm traveling, which I do increasingly, being able to log in, read and respond to text without necessarily activating my phone, or if my phone is not available, hugely, hugely uh, valuable in a way that I never anticipated. I thought the phone routing was going to be the thing. Turns out for me it's the online multi-platform access to my SMS log and my contacts that's been such a savior. I just read a uh, great blog post about not having a phone at all. Like, just don't even have a phone. Make people... <laughs> Like make people find you? Make, <laughs> no. Just say, I'll talk to you. You schedule a time. I'll have Skype running or something. But I don't have a phone. I like that idea. He said it's surprisingly liberating. And people think you're like, you got balls. Because you had to say, I don't have a phone. It sounds like one of those four-hour work week hacks. It is. Like, it only, sounds I'm exactly like that. I'm only going to respond to your email between yes. 2 and 3 p.m. GMT. Admit it. it you, you. you would love to do that. I would, but it, uh, I, I fear that I, would, that I would miss some little bits of plankton. No, no fear. That's the point. No fear. <laughs> Just, well, I oh, think man. fear is something that uh, keeps you rooted in reality sometimes. And I know that uh, I, I do need to be more connected than, than that would allow. <sighs> maybe, maybe for the guy who's getting rich off of all those books, it works. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good one. There was a lot in the four-hour work week, the, the original book. And I was like, yeah, this works for you yeah, only right <laughs> and so it's like i'm very happy that i think about a third of the book was massively applicable a third was just for him and a third was kind of insane in a fun way but not necessarily a, a practical way uh there one downside i found a google voice as a no you cannot send text messages right now to international numbers oh and that uh, I found out when i was in australia i was trying to respond to people through sms and they just don't know how the gateways in place uh, so in our increasingly global world, Google Voice is still very U.S.-centric, and they've got to fix that uh, to make it a real product. I, li I like Google Voice, but I think that you could use it that way. You could, uh, you know, people, the problem is my phone number leaks out all the time, so I can't really, I, can't, I don't answer the phone. Yeah, no, no one answers their phone. Who answers well, that's phone? the point. You don't answer the phone, do you? Uh, pa parents probably answer their phone because there might be something to do with their kids. No, I look at the caller ID. If it's not a number I know, I go, screw you. <laughs> Yeah, I, right. I have my phone number very public. Yeah, um, because you don't yeah, answer it. No, I do answer it. Uh, I'd say I answer it probably two thirds of the time. Really? Yeah. Oh. And people say that they're surprised that I'm willing to put it out there publicly. Maybe I'm not as oh. uh, you know. There's a there's probably one or two PR agents that call me every day. Every uh, and every once in a while I'll answer the phone, question. and I and what I get usually is nervous laughter, and they hang up because they don't they know my number that and they <laughs> they don't expect me to answer. They, they were trying to reach Justin Bieber. They, they, they go, ee, and they hang up.
Marshall, when you say you get one to two PR calls a day, is that from the same PR person? <laughs> over and over and uh, over. For three or four days in a row, generally speaking, yeah. <sighs> and and I don't I don't mind it. I I, mean, I don't mind someone putting themselves at the top of my mental inbox. So that really? I can, I'll it, tell it them in about fifteen standing. seconds, I'll say, I'm not going to write about your client. Goodbye. You know? Problem problem solved. Wow. Or I, I do write about their order. client and I say, Thank you. Let's schedule this right now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, they're very responsive, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm hold impressed. on, my phone's ringing. Yeah, right? go no. get go get the phone. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. Marshall Kirkpatrick is here. His phone number is one eight hundred call Marshall. <laughs> if you'd like to reach him, he writes for Read Write Web, and he loves hearing from PR Flax. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I can't imagine you do, but okay. Also, here's Shani Jardin. She's at boingboing.net and really a great website to read, not just for uh, uh, fun stuff, because there is a ton of fun stuff there, but also for real news about stuff like science. For your steampunk and your science. <laughs> steampunk and science. Nice. <laughs> Baratunde Thurston is at baratunde.com. He also is the uh, official web guy for the, something like that, right? For The Onion. Uh, yeah, director of digital. Director, the DOD. He's the DOD at the ONION. Yeah. But you can call me mayor. And mayor of all. <laughs> all he surveys. His new book is uh, going to be out someday. Yes. That's all I can say. He won't let me say any more. Nope. Just that. <laughs> hey, I want to talk real quickly about audible.com. Then we'll move on to uh, topic number three. This has been fun. This is a great. I tell you, I love getting intelligent people on so I can just, you know, shut up. Stay out of the way. But I do want to mention Audible.com. Audible is is how I read, and I love it. I just, you know, I just saw there's a great movie uh, came out a couple of years ago about Tolstoy's last year of life called The Last Station. It's really great, and it made me say, if it, you know, I can, f I'm gonna read War and Peace finally. And then I chickened out and I said, no, I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna go to Audible.com and I'm gonna get War and Peace, and it's, it's like I don't know how many hours, but I got it, and I'm listening to it, and you know what? It's actually really great. See, Audible is about the rediscovering reading in your life. 80,000 books on audible.com now. In fact, there's two different versions of War and Peace. Unabridged, so you can decide which one you want to uh, read. I'm sure there's some abridged versions as well if you don't have the time. A-U-D-I-B-L-E, audible.com. Now, you can get two books right now absolutely free. If you go to audible.com slash twit2, you'll be signing up for the platinum account that's a subscription to two books a month and uh, you know the only real challenge on this is is which two books with 80,000 books to choose from it's tough there's so many great books one of the things audible folks do when they get together is they say well what's good what are you listening to I love listening to a book it's like somebody reading to you and it just brings the book uh, to life, whether it's War and Peace, I'm reading uh, uh, Peter F. Hamilton's a great sci-fi epic, The Dreaming Void. I just finished a great book that Andy Anaka recommended about the history of the Smothers Brothers. It's called The Dangerously Funny by David Biancooli. There are so many good books on here. Look, here's what I would suggest. Go to audible.com, browse around when you're ready to pick two. Then go to audible.com slash twit2 and sign up for that gold account. Two books a month, first two are free. The first month is free, and you can cancel at any time. Those books are yours to keep forever. Plays on any uh, any of the Apple devices, the Zune. Uh, they've got a great Android app now that I just love that lets you see all of your books and download whatever you want to listen to. Audible.com slash twit2. 
Check out their sci-fi section. They've been recording a lot of great books. Audible.com slash twit2. We thank them for their support of This Week in Tech. Let me go back and check uh, our rundown of stories and some Android stories out there. Um, Playbook is due out soon, and the folks at RIM say the Playbook, which is based on QNX, it is, not, uh, it is neither iOS nor Android or even WebOS, will play or will uh, run Android apps. They're going to offer tools for Android app developers to easily port their tools to the playbook. But they say there'll even be a little emulation layer, because it's all in Java, that will support apps written for Android 2.3. They'll support apps for BlackBerry Java. So this is one way to handle that issue of what apps do you run. I, I ordered a, a, a playbook. They, they come out April 19th. Any of you have Zooms or Playbooks or any of those Samsung Galaxy tabs? I, uh, I ended up kind of winning a, a Galaxy tab at South By, and I, did, I haven't activated the AT&T thing in it because I, I have too many telecom billing relationships. They are very good at taking your money, and uh, I don't need more cash going so right. to them. You are so right. But, I have like four or five data accounts now. You know, they're essentially um, banks. That, that process your payments and exchange for occasional telecom services, right. uh, which is, you know, works out well for them. But the, the tab, what, one of the very positive things I noticed, that size is great. I'm a, I mm -hmm. have the first generation mm -hmm. iPad. I love the iPad, but the tab fits inside my coat pocket. Yep. And if I'm just going to run out the door and have no bag whatsoever, don't want to hold anything, that makes a big difference. And it's a very readable size. It's more Kindle size, which, again, you know, kind of slips inside of a pocket and can run and go. So I think there's a market for something that size, and clearly Apple's not exploiting it. So I hope these, you know, everyone making things that size is a bit more successful uh, in that space. In fact, Steve you know? Jobs said nobody wants seven-inch tablets. That's crazy. Well, <laughs> Steve Jobs says, you know, no one wants anything until Apple makes so it. We make he it. said yeah. no one wants. <laughs> yeah. No one wants their seven-inch tablet. Spin master. Yeah. yeah. The playbook is or seven inches, too. I played with yeah. it uh, and, and really liked it. It's very speedy. It feels good. But I'll, we're, we're going to get a Zoom, too. You know, we have a new uh, show all about Android, which debuts. Uh, when, is, when is your first episode? Tomorrow. All right. What time? 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on live.twit.tv. Uh, Eileen Rivera, our producer, and uh, Jason Howell, who produces TNT, will be hosting and producing that show. So we're going to be we're going to get a Zoom for them and a uh, I guess a play a playbook. So uh, do you play with any of these, uh, Jenny or um, or uh, Marshall? No, I got to a little bit at CTIA, uh, and it, the idea of a smaller form factor is really growing on me. But for some reason, I always hope that they'll cost less than the iPad does, and I don't think they really do. I think that uh, the, 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 there are 499 versions of both, but I don't think they have, I think they're Wi-Fi only, right? Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, that's, I'd love to see somebody compete on price as well. I'd buy the playbook, more Playbook is the same price. It's 499 for Wi-Fi. Um, I think the Zoom is a little more expensive. They're both dual processor. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm with you, Baritone. I think the real problem is, is this connection, is this connectivity. Now, my old iPad, I have a thirty buck a month account. My new iPad, I have a thirty buck a month. I mean, AT and T's just sucking, sucking me dry here. Well, hopefully, what will happen in this connected world of devices, you will have a a one live broadband connection that's attached to you. Most likely, it'll come in the form of your primary mobile phone. Let's call it your mobile. Wouldn't that be nice? And tether device. everything tethers. And then everything gets auto. Yeah. You, you have a shared identity key among yeah. your items, and you, you've got a similar connection because so you have a primary, like, uh, fixed connection to your home. 
whether it's wireless or, or terrestrial, doesn't matter, but it's your home pipe, and that's shared within your home as it is now. And then you have a mobile you know, primary connection and everything attached to you or around you that you want to opt in, you know, a friend's phone or a device you're playing with at some kind of new you know, video gaming facility or at a movie theater. You want to connect your, your chair and order popcorn. Uh, yeah, I just made up something right there. You're welcome. Guys. I like that. There you go. Yeah. Do you think, Marshall, that's possible? Were they talking about that? No. They're talking about yeah, how the, to extract more money out of Baratunde. There, <laughs> there was uh, some under-celebrated uh, awards granted uh, at CTIA, and one of the award winners was uh, Alcatel-Lucent, uh, who I should disclose is a major read-write-web sponsor. Uh, but they won uh, an award for a new... Uh, replacement for cell towers, I believe they are called a light radio uh, that is, uh, I mean, it's it's just offers crazy uh, mobile connectivity to an entire neighborhood, I believe, uh, in the palm of your hand. Hmm. We need that. Yeah. We need that. Uh, Google uh, says that Honeycomb will not uh, be out as soon. They decided not, this is a shame, not to release the platform source code to the community. It, it, it's open source, but until Google releases the source code, there's not much you can do with it. Uh, so far, the Zoom is the only honeycomb-based uh, tablet. Uh, Leo, I think you're forgetting. You can you can do something very important with it, which is to call it open source. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it is or not. Yeah. It will be. The source will be. What more do you want? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. Um. So uh, I think iPad's going to have going to have a year before they have to. Apple doesn't have to worry about anybody for a little while. All of this is everybody's in disarray. iPad did go on sale worldwide. Uh, was it yesterday or Friday? Uh, to long lines all over the world, including London, and uh, the suspicion that there aren't all that many that they probably will be sold out uh, pretty quickly worldwide. They just care. Here in Portland, Leo, I'm told that uh, that there are still people lining up at three in the morning uh, to get the limited number of iPads that they sell down at the mall each okay. day. Is that mass hysteria, or is there really a reason to get in line for an iPad too? Well, I I know it's the device that I pick up uh, more often than my laptop when I have a choice, and it makes me happy when I do pick it up. All right. You know, I, I remember hearing over the last few weeks, too, here in Los Angeles, people lining up at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning to uh, go to the Apple stores here. I think specifically, I, I kept hearing these were people who wanted AT&T and not Verizon, and there was less, uh, presumably less stock of the AT&T device. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, yeah, I don't get that either. That's weird. I'm telling you, there's something in the water. I don't, it's just amazing to me. And meanwhile, you've got, you know, Plentiful supplies of, uh, of numerous Android tablets. Uh, yeah. And, you know, walk in and buy one. Well, maybe they should drop the price for, you know. <laughs> well, I think there are cheap. In fact, I think that there's a, the Galaxy is going to end up being $299. I think some, some models of that. That's great. So there, I think there are some. And, of course, there are, you know, off-brands, Arcos and others. Arcos isn't really an off-brand, but Arcos is selling very inexpensive Android tablets. Uh, but none of them are on Honeycomb. I guess maybe that's an issue. Apple says Amazon can't call it the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because it's an Apple thing. It's the lawyers thing. It's just, come on now. Like, you, you didn't create apps. Apps have existed before. You didn't create store. You can't take two things. But app is in our together. name. We you are Apple. Apple. 
<laughs> yes. It's just it's just silly. I don't know. I want like the author of the Bible to sue Apple for using the word Apple. Like let's just right, so let them have a taste. Yes. Lawyers got a loy. Lawyers got a loy. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the uh, Apple was initially turned down in its trademark for App Store. They attempted to uh, get I think outside of the U.S. and uh, it, because it's a descriptive term, you cannot trademark a descriptive term. Yeah, an iTunes App Store, Apple App Store, those things work. Right. Uh, just generic App Store. It's like, you know, trademarking grocery store, trademarking... Right! Uh, you can't... It's just unreasonable. It's just so, very... So the argument the Apple attorneys made that ended up getting them uh, the, the, the trademark was, well, it was descriptive, but now that Apple's used it so much, it really should be Apple's. <laughs> we own that. They they wanted to trademark store. Yeah, they couldn't get store. <laughs> so I don't. I mean, I I I mean, guess Amazon could just walk away. Who cares? It's just a name. But I I wonder if Amazon's going to fight this one. Mm. They should, they should somebody, for justice. Yeah. yeah, somebody needs to fight it, right? right. I mean, there's. All right, let's. Talk, a, we're going to talk about the silliest story of the week. What if you were to create a buzzword compliant iPhone app? That was social photography, uh, <laughs> instant, quick, easy. Uh, how much money could you raise? Don't answer that question. We will, <laughs> we will answer it with the, you know, an unbelievable number. Actually, we've got two unbelievable numbers coming up. The, also, the unbelievable number the record industry is asking for for uh, damages from LimeWire. I don't know which is more what? unbelievable. Li oh, LimeWire. Okay. Yeah, get ready. I don't know if it's on our rundown. It's not, but believe me, you're, you're, you're going to love this one. We'll talk about it in a moment. But first, I just really quickly want to tell you about backing up with Carbonite. It's how I back up and how I recommend you all back up. When my daughter went to college this year, uh, she brought a laptop with her. And I know the stats on laptops. Hundreds of thousands of laptops are left in airports every year alone. I mean, they, they get lost all the time. And, of course, hard drives die. C disaster happens. Catastrophe happens. And I know Abby. She is not going to be backing up her laptop. She's, she's going to be throwing it in her backpack, throwing it around. I mean, I know that, that, that I'm going to get that call at some point. Uh, Dad, uh, my thesis, it's, it's gone. And can you help? And I say, I'm going to be able to say, yeah, no problem. Log into your Carbonite account. It's sitting right there. Carbonite is online backup done right. It's automatic. Anytime you're online, it automatically trickles your data up to the Internet. It's encrypted 128-bit SSL. You can even add your own triple desk or Blowfish encryption to make sure it's completely <coughs> private data. Yeah, it also is available to you even before disaster strikes. You just log into your Carbonite account on any computer, Mac or PC, or they have an Android app, a BlackBerry app, an iPhone app. There's your stuff. It's really, it's, it's cloud storage plus backup. And all that for $55 a year. That's 15 cents a day. Unlimited backup, all the data on your internal drive. I have to say it's internal. You can't just plug in a bunch of external drives, have it back them up, then plug in a bunch more. It's this is reasonable. Unlimited data on your internal drive. So if it's a laptop, your whole laptop is backed up. Easy to use. Very straightforward. I do want you to try it free for two weeks because it is dependent on your internet connection. Make sure you've got enough bandwidth to do this. It doesn't slow you down or the connection down. It's trickling it up. Go to Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIT. You get two weeks free. If you decide, this is for me, and I know you will, use TWIT again when you check out to purchase a year's worth of Carbonite, 12 months, and you'll get 14 months, two extra months for free. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right, automatically off-site with Carbonite. Carbonite.com, offer code TWIT. So uh, the guy who created Lala, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. You like Lala? I miss it. Uh, every day, I, I have found that uh, RDO is a reasonable replacement. Yeah, I'm following. I'm following you on RDO. You're a big Kanye fan. Uh, yeah, I've played Kanye for a while. I'm actually really into Aloe Black and yep. Rafael Sadiq right now. See, I know um, that because it's a social. <laughs> I follow you. I hear your music. You, the, every time you say you follow me, it has a vague, like, threatening sound to it. <laughs> uh, well, when you go to the playgrounds, I don't follow you. But after, but it, you know, I'm kidding. It, it, I'm not what, what Lala had that Dario doesn't was the ability to upload your own library right. and share that. And I definitely miss that because there are things right. I own that Dario still doesn't have a license for. Uh, oh, but that's a good that, point. Because uh, Dario is Dario is you know unlimited streaming of you know, but right. it doesn't have everything. Can, no, no, no one Jillian does. Walsh. So that was, that was, no one, no was, Jillian Walsh. No Rebecca Jillian Black. Walsh. No, Rebecca. Nope. Friday, Friday. <laughs> Don't get me started. I got that thing in my head. It's the worst earworm ever. Your producer warned me. I've been. I can't get stopped. It's like I don't know. It's in my mind now. Do math. <laughs> Is that what you do? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you do math, it'll kill an earworm. Oh. Do, do like timetables in your head. Seriously. Some said meth. Meth or meth. <laughs> meth will kill a lot of things, but probably not an earworm. No. In fact, I think meth makes <laughs> it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, somebody right. once told me that if you sing, um, my baby takes the morning train, it works. That's such a bad tune that it can't stick in your head. And so it wipes away any earworms. I think this Friday song might be the next tune that's so bad it'll kill anything else. Well, it is. It's going to kill it. Anyway, this guy started Lala. Where was I? <laughs> yes, the, the Mr. Nguyen and his very large windfall. Yeah, well, and this, this is interesting. So Lala uh, got sold to Apple, and of course now that now he's a uh, he's a star because you know you create a startup and you sell it to Apple for I don't know hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, when you next go to venture capitalists, they sit up and take notice. So Bill Nguyen, uh, uh, well, interestingly enough. A few months ago, he purchased Color.com for $350,000. C-O-L-O-R.com for $350,000. So, and he bought, by the way, C-O-L-O-U-R.com. He bought both spellings. So people thought, ah, Bill's up to something. Well, <laughs> apparently he was. There's a new application that he has, uh, he has put out, came out this week, called Color. And it's a little weird. I don't know. You know, it's a little strange. When you first sign in, it doesn't really tell you anything about what's going on. It just says, uh, "Here, give me your name and a picture, and uh, I will I will just broadcast that to the world somehow." And then when you take pictures now with color, see there it is. When you take pictures, doesn't this look a little creepy? It's like IKEA or something. I mean. Take photos. Those, those figures are very like training for nuclear fallout shelters yeah. in the 1950s style. I feel like this is a little creepy. So it says, take photos together, Leo. This is it. It doesn't really, it's got cryptic things that I don't know what they do. I don't know whose pictures these are. I don't know what any of this is. It's just there, right? Yeah. And then there's a clock, but I don't know what that is. And then the, these are other pictures I took. And then, and if I take another picture now, I'll take, here, I'll be very meta. I'll take a picture of the color icon. So that's really meta. So now that has become, uh, that's a picture on color. Now, as I understand this, and I'm not really clear at all about how this is, but everybody within 150 feet of me who's running color will now see the pictures that I took. And we're all in a group, we're in an ad hoc group. 
So th yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, how is it? 41, <laughs> is it $41 million amazing? You know, maybe phase two of the operation might be truly revolutionary, and this is just to seed oh. interest and, and make people ask questions. Oh. Like, I tried to use it on a recent trip. There was no one around me, so I was alone. That was boring. And then when I was at a table with other people just testing out the app, we were just taking pictures of each other, taking pictures of each other to then look at the screen of the pictures we had just taken of each other. But it would have just been cheaper to just well, look at each other's faces. It is. That's what's say, weird hey. because it, 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 you're there. You, you're taking pictures of something where you are, so you've seen that. I can imagine maybe if you're on a field trip with the school to the zoo and different, you know, members of your class are taking pictures of different exhibits at the zoo or the museum and you have this collective memory of your trip where you didn't have to take the pictures, create a Facebook group or an email list or a shared photo album on Flickr or Picasa, upload all these photos, label them and where they were taken. You know, the geography's already there. The photos were put in an ad hoc group right away. There might be something interesting uh, about that. I think the UI is totally not intuitive, and uh, I don't, you no, just I'm, touch it. You your just do confusion, stuff which you know, my confusion as yeah. well. I'm like, what, what's the clock do? What's the little pretty NBC Peacock looking <laughs> thing do? I, I don't know. So there's been a lot of. I, I, I got so upset about it, I had to just drop off the webcast there. Sorry. Yes, you hung up on us. <laughs> I, that's it. I give up. Um, no, but uh, there was no, and I don't mind that they got 41 million dollars. It's not my money. Somebody obviously. You do? It was my money. Well, I thought, uh, was it Dave McClure who said, what, when, when said, what would you do with $41 million? I'd have 820 startups. You know, it isn't your money, but think of what that money could have done. And all the, I feel bad for all the startups who have legitimately good ideas who are did, sitting did looking. Did you guys already talk about in the 30 seconds that I wasn't with you, uh, the most hilarious review of all time that's uh, about yes. this app? We didn't. It's on iTunes, right? <gasps> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we had this on Boing Boing this morning where somebody, uh, I'll read a little bit of it. Color is a groundbreaking new entry in the in the new genre of MLPRMORG, which stands for Massively Multiplayer Real Live Marketing Games. And it just goes on for like 2,000 words and plays on the, uh, the uh, interview in uh, Business Insider, I think it was, that uh, sort of poo-poos the idea of privacy and lays it out there like it is that this is a data mining app. Well, is that really what you think that this is is, is all so about? So the founder said, yeah. Oh, he even said Phase it. Phase two. Phase well, two. The, the chief of product there is the former chief scientist from LinkedIn. Okay. And the, yep. the co-founder, Peter Pham, is uh, formerly of a, an online bill paying service called Bill Shrink and did biz dev at Photobucket that uh -huh. sold to Fox for $300 million. So these, yeah, I mean, it, it may not make a lot of sense to us at launch here, but... Uh, neither, I mean, I hate to say this, but neither did Twitter to me when I first saw it. So yeah. you, you think that this may have some value. Well, I mean, obviously somebody does $41 million worth of value, but, but, well, but it Sequoia sounds like capital Sequoia uh, believes it backers of Google and YouTube and so much more. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, Baratone, you think that's because there's something, you know, evil that's, uh, behind the scenes here. Well, there's always something evil behind the scenes. That's what evil does. It hides behind the scenes, uh. right? So that's just that's part of the thing. But I think more, uh, slightly more serious and legitimate, there's, there's clearly something else going on. I don't know that it has to be evil, but there's got to be more that's, here. That's a, big, that's a big number to put a big bet on something that is obviously foolish. Clearly, it's not obviously foolish to the people who, who are putting the money up. You've seen, this, they, you've seen this deck, color.xxx. I, I flipped through that. 
No, it's pretty cool. I, I want to get. I want to make an app called White and you just open it as a white screen. <laughs> Colors. And, uh, people and love you can that just stuff. Contemplate it. But what it else do people great. love? Sharing mobile social apps. Sharing mobile social apps. <laughs> color will do all that. And it's a mobile social app that lets you share your favorite color with your friends and low acquaintances. And <laughs> now this is a a, a mock presentation uh, with all the main you know buzzwords: lean, agile, organic. Grass-fed. We were having a fun time on Twitter the other day imagining the headlines that will start popping up in tech blogs and on the Wall Street Journal and the like. There's got to be the uh, inevitable profile of the founders called people of color. Uh, <laughs> yes. You, know, just, you start spinning out like color by numbers, which is the financial profile. <laughs> I want my royalties when you start writing them. This, you, might, you probably know the guy who did this, Baratunic. He's he's a he's New Yorker, right? He's a... Uh... Oh, I know all the New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, he's in your town. Um, what's his name? I make sure to interview all new applicants to the city of New York before they are allowed to take he is, residence. He is the so, mayor. Yeah, yeah. I'll look him up by identification number. <laughs> you know, some of these jokes are are certainly funny. I, I my wife was disturbed by how loud I was laughing while looking at this deck in particular. But uh, but snark is cheap. Snark is cheap. Yeah. That's good. So you and, think uh, apparently making tear down others? Yeah. So really, it's just a bunch of us are really jealous that they got that uh, oh, Bill got forty-one million dollars. And, and that I think we can't see the use case very clearly yet. It's uh, it's certainly not apparent with such a small user base right now. Right. But I can remember when uh, a friend first turned me on to Twitter, and Twitter was sure, a different product than it is now. And I remember thinking, this is totally stupid. I don't get why anyone would use this. And now it's it's evolved into something different. But sometimes the need evolves around the tool that is available. I have to say that I think if they'd launched this, at, obviously they intended to launch it at South by Southwest and they just missed the deadline. Had they launched it South by Southwest, it would have been much more interesting because you got 1,500 yeah. people using it and it'd be full of great, interesting pictures. Uh, I wonder about high school kids, too. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, sure. I mean, we're, we're all people whose you know, favorite type of place to check into on Foursquare probably is airports. And, you know, and our bedrooms. Yeah, most of my friends, mo I, I do have friends in real life uh, that are in my town, uh, but, uh, and, I, and I love them, that's great. But, you know, most of our social lives where it touches technology are not immediately around us. Well, here's the reason this is of interest is because there is a big discussion going on of, if, of whether we're in a bubble. Whether there is massive overvaluation of these ridiculous things just because there's, you know, irrational exuberance over anything on the web. So that and Groupon. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this is a data point that kind of encourages the thought that maybe we are in a bubble. I, I mean, don't know that $41 million at this day and age is, is, I mean, that's what Henry Blodgett at Business Insider said was, look, for building almost any other kind of business... $41 million isn't that big a raise, you know, in a, in a VC funded sector. And he says, there's two kinds of strategies. There's the Dave McClure style lean startups. Right. And then there's the fat startups uh, where you one. put a, yeah. And that's a legitimate strategy as well. I have to say that's a lot of money. What could you possibly need $41 million for? The evil plans <laughs> lurking in the shadows. <laughs> Well, let me ask you guys, are we in a bubble? Foosball and the, the yoga balls that the developers sit on. Exactly. Are we in a bubble? Is, uh, uh, are, is all this stuff overvalued? I mean, come on, look at color, really. What is the value of that? 
come on. So, I, I mean, I think we're, you know, given the state of the overall economy in, in the country and around the world. Yeah, we're in a depression, uh, gang. Yeah, we're, we're, we're I, I don't know. I, I don't roll in, in financing startup circles and go to venture capital events. And I don't live in Silicon Valley. So I feel perfectly qualified in making up an opinion on this subject. <laughs> Good. Um, it is 420. Go ahead. Just live it up. <laughs> yeah. saying, nah, we're, we're not in a bubble. I, I think, you know. I just doubt it. I don't see like tons of money. I don't see lots of people getting great you know, job offers that suddenly might explode later. If it is a bubble, it's a very weird definition of one where a handful of people, you know, with billions of their own dollars are putting a bit of money into a handful of other people who need money. Uh, so if it is a bubble, it's like a tightly uh, prescribed one. Uh, there you go. Well what, do you, what do you think, Jenny? I want some of that sweet $41 million. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I got your bubble got right your, here. I got your use, use case scenario. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Uh, somebody, I was sort of arguing back and forth with people on Twitter last night. What might happen when the summer music festival season comes around? Stuff like uh, Outside Lands and Coachella. Well, that's true. Bonnaroo. I'm looking at There's, pictures M.G. Siegler uh, took of a party, and this is fun. Adrian Shannon Gawker had a funny piece today about how he uh, used color for a few days and saw people around him in the same buildings, be it restaurants or office buildings or his apartment building, uh, saw people having more fun than him. And that that was the oh. killer use for this app is seeing how much more miserable your life is. <laughs> These people are having way too much fun. I do agree. You know, with there, you. there is something to that. I mean, I think... South by Southwest is probably one of the more connected conferences as far as, you know, the multiple people there sharing their own perspectives about what panels they're in or what parties they're at that you are not in. And what it, you know, the, uh, the real-time availab availability of choice that you didn't make and highlighting <laughs> the position you're not in is a relatively new phenomenon in world mm. history. You might hear later, like a week later, mm. you might read somebody's report about this event that you also were and like, oh, I didn't even know Big Boy was there. Right. Now you know, now you know. that he's there and, and you're not giving out free champagne yeah. and you're not with him backstage Damn. hanging out. And so it does <laughs> heighten, you know, we part of our economy is, is a big chunk of it, probably all of it's built on desire rather than need. And so this ups the 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 the, the uh, gap, you know, you, and your knowledge of the gap between you and the Joneses next door. Right. The Joneses are all up in your face showing you real time how good they have it. That's or how true. differently they have it. It doesn't necessarily have to be good, but with a different I, perspective I'm, I'm right there. I'm just pleasantly pleased that so far it's not full of ween. Unlike Chat Roulette, which was just a big ween fest. Uh, yeah, a that's, ween! That's, oh! That's a family-friendly name for... Ween! I get it. So apparently, yeah, according, how long until it turns into a big schlong? A ween fest, fest? yeah. We'll, we'll use the word schlong. Well, in my case, short. Okay. Uh, what? So, uh, Leo, yeah. I, I, I did want to interject one last thought on, oh, thank on you. color. Uh, as we discuss that, those kinds of use cases, I mean, another way to put it would be if they can nail an effective user experience for uh, the, the act of empathy of seeing uh, the same phenomenon from another person's vantage point, then that sounds like existential disruption to me. <laughs> uh, Whoa! Marshall is floating the big terms, y'all. We have living senses. <laughs> I thought schlong was a big word.
<laughs> All right. This, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm very happy to be on here with Marshall. Wow, That's no kidding. According to yeah. Ben Parr writing at Mashable, color oh. is going to fix the loneliness problem. <laughs> oh, sure. The app. Uh, Zip my lip. <laughs> you're not going to say anything, huh? <laughs> no. But you said I, enough. You said enough. He says he talked to Bill, and uh, in order somebody, in order to get value out of color, someone has to be nearby using the app. Otherwise, Bill says, Bill Nguyen, the creator, it's not going to make any sense. So the next edition, uh, you won't, oh, this will make it better. Get this. You won't be able to use the app if nobody's nearby. Well, <laughs> okay. And color will be changing the distance required for somebody to be considered nearby. I don't know if that, currently it's 150 feet. They're going to start. <laughs> <laughs> They've really overthought this. This is what happens when you get $41 million. We're going to start adjusting the range based on the density of the city you're in. Foursquare does stuff like that. Facebook really? does stuff like that. Really? I, yeah, I, I think that not as extensively or as ambitiously as these folks do, but, you know, uh, for Google, for Facebook, uh, $41 million split between these three co-founders or these three top people you know, is a is a signing bonus. Wow. Right. I mean, look at pro athletes and the the uh, the revenue they help generate and the compensation they receive. And uh, yeah, if a Dave Morin and Path got offered a hundred million dollars from Google uh, before the or like a week after the silly photo sharing app uh, launched, did they really? They got a hundred million dollar offer from Google. They yeah, and they turned That's it crazy. down. That's crazy, and they turned it down. But it was it was a talent uh, grab. Right, they wanted Dave. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Path doesn't make any sense. <laughs> there, it's an Instagram, but you can only have fifty friends. I, I just it doesn't make any sense. Um, anybody buy a Nintendo 3DS? Just out of curiosity. No, but I did see a. Uh, I grabbed a screenshot. I sent a, should have sent it over to you on Gizmodo. They had a, an article titled something really strongly worded like handheld 3d devices make no sense like the idea and the premise was the idea of 3d is supposed to be immersive supposed to be surrounded by it so having 3d in your hand is just foolishness and then right below that it's like this post sponsored by nintendo 3ds Whoopsies. available now <laughs> for you actually yeah, i've played with it. It, it you know it's 3d it's kind of cool to see something popping out at you even though it's a little tiny screen in your hand it's almost like having um you know um Princess Leia in your hand, or that. that remember that, 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 that <laughs> you know, help me, Obi Wan that, huh? Kenobi. You know, and she's like, oh. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like the little holograms. Like yeah. there was a Star Trek uh, Next Generation, I think, episode where they had this very addictive game. We had to try to get like a donut and a hoop, and you derive some pleasure from the act. So it was. Uh, oh, that's right. I remember it, that. Yeah, yeah. It happened in front of your face, and everybody right. got addicted. No, that was Saturday Night Live. That was the Coneheads. Wasn't that no, the, I'm pretty sure there was Star a Trek Star Trek TNG. Where's my chat room people on this? <laughs> yes, I'm, so, yes, yes. Day says Punter Joe, vindicated by Punter Joe. <laughs> well, anybody in Punter Joe would know. Dean, Tak Dean Takahashi over at VentureBeat is one of the games reporters that I pay most attention to, and he wrote about it in great detail and said that it was fun, it was cool, uh, but it was kind of pricey, and there was a 30-minute barf limit. Yeah, that's that's part of the issue. More than thirty minutes. But there is a little slider that you can turn the effect down if you're starting to feel a little more nauseous. or less. Yeah. Likelihood of tossing your cookies. <laughs> uh, let's see. I have a question. You yes. know how when when um, when you go out on the water or if you do like a zero gravity flight, there's different drugs that you can take that will help 
reduce the likelihood of motion sickness. Yes. Um, I wonder, does that work for the sort of motion sickness induced by 3D gaming experiences? That would be an interesting Ooh, thing to I try. I bet it does. Like, so, sc scope deck, scopolamine and dexedrine, that's the thing that the astronauts use, or um, I'm blanking out. What's the name of the drug that you use for when you're on the water? Dramamine. Dramamine, thanks. It's the one that makes you sort of drowsy. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if that would work for, say, people who are particularly sensitive to 3D well, the issue, the nausea comes from the fact that your your brain's confused because your body is, you know, moving one way and you're not. And I think that's where your, the nausea... Your I, inner ear is arguing with your brain. Exactly. And it's like, it, it's trying to tell you, alert, alert, danger. Yeah, you've we're floating, something's you've wrong. you eat the magic mushroom, you should throw up. Right. Uh, exactly. Well, I, I would take a tablet if it helps me play with my iPad more hours in the day, right? <laughs> A tablet for your tablet. Yeah, watched the uh, the movie Limitless last night. By the way, really good movie. I you thought. know, that really. I just gotta tell you, if you play with your iPad for more than four hours, you should see your doctor. <laughs> I, I missed uh, some of the discussion. The chat room vindicated me. The episode is called The Game. It's Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh yeah, Wesley uh, wouldn't Wesley play. Wesley Crusher, yeah, Ashley yeah. Judd guest stars. Yeah. So take that. You know, this we should have had Will Wheaton on this episode, and then we could have we could have cut right through that. <laughs> Social network LinkedIn passes 100 million members. It's not 600 million, but it's still pretty good. You know, it's funny. In the, in the wake of Facebook, 100 million, it's like, oh, yeah, 100 million, big deal. Well, for a site, I don't know. For me, LinkedIn is very rarely used. Uh, I think me yesterday too. someone described it as that network you go to when you're about to lose your job. Right. That's what it's <laughs> for, right? Right. Right. Since so we're all so we're all working, thing, but it's it's not a you don't need it every day. Right. Your you know your friends aren't posting baby pictures every day. You're not getting at least most people I know I should say, and I, I doubt most of their users are daily session you know timers. Uh, they got some discussion boards in there that you know, if you're in a particular industry that might be quite useful. If you're looking to recruit people, it can be very helpful to try to find talent or identify someone at a company that you're trying to reach out to. But I guess you know, good for them. 100 million people occasionally yeah. logging in. That's, yeah. that's great. Baratunde, can I ask you publicly in that case to please separate yeah. your Twitter and LinkedIn accounts? Because every time I go over to LinkedIn, it's full of tweets from you. Oh. I will happily do that. Yeah, no, I. That's uh, a good point. I, I, I have so abandoned my LinkedIn presence, I didn't even think about the other side of it. And, and yeah, I read every one of your tweets religiously on Twitter. <laughs> you don't need it. Really, you don't need them on LinkedIn again. No, yeah. it's funny because I, when yeah. I when I first I can't remember was using some social network that, that linked into LinkedIn, and all of a sudden I saw this traffic, and I thought, wow, people are using LinkedIn, but really mostly they're doing what Baratunde does, which is they're pumping their Twitter into it. Yeah, bad news for MySpace, man. Uh, in in uh, January of 2011, according to ComScore, 73 million uniques. February, 63 million uniques. Loss of 14 percent. 10 million users in one. Months. So, so you're saying MySpace, MySpace and went to LinkedIn, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> MySpace is, yes, isn't that an insightful, uh, MySpace is losing users. That is the sound of the world's <laughs> tiniest violin playing. <laughs> Can you hear it? <laughs> They've lost half their staff. I, I wonder if they're going to be able to sell it or if they're just going to have to shutter it. At this rate, they'll, there won't be anybody there in September. <laughs> there will be nobody here. Then we could take it over. Uh, guys, I just got some breaking news that Ashley Judd's husband uh, won an indie car race. And uh, that happened moments after we mentioned her name, so I think we can take credit for that. Would you tweet that? We can see it on your LinkedIn that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came in from SportsCenter. I'll just uh, 
I'll retweet them. So uh, uh, in a couple of days, Larry Page becomes the CEO of Google. Eric Schmidt, perhaps, the rumor says, will take a government job as a Secretary of Commerce in the Obama administration, um, which would make sense. That would explain a little bit. Larry says uh, he's going to uh, bring Google back to its roots. Uh, talking to Stephen Levy and uh, Levy's... So, so that would be just like a search engine with a simple input box <laughs> yeah, floating in the middle Please, I beg of you. Marshall, you, you're following like the Google circles or whatever they're calling this stuff. They, they're testing music, Google Music internally. We were told that they would have launched all of these services by uh, last year. Is Google still even looking at a Facebook killer, a music service? Any of these things? Oh, I'm sure there's so many people that work over there. And yeah, I, I Somebody certainly is. have reason to believe it. I talked to uh, to enough people that have told me, despite Google's vehement denials, that there is social networking based on personas, on contextual integrity of communication. You know, one message goes to the your your uh, your message from church doesn't get rebroadcast to your friends from the bar, et cetera, uh, that sort of thing. But I expected to see it a couple of weeks ago, too, and it's not out yet. So, I think they have to be a little bit frozen in place by, by what we talked about earlier, this privacy fears. People are scared of Google. And I think anything that they do, is they, they kind of got slapped around over buzz. Uh, Google Wave was just horrible. I think they're a little maybe gun shy. Well, and they need to, to ready the, the ramp for the brain implant whenever that comes out, right? Yeah, because so. they want to predict uh, what you're doing before you even know. Uh, let's see. Oh, last story. OMG, LOL has entered the OED. WTF, guys? That too. <laughs> I think this is actually is, is a non-story. It's not, I mean, OED is supposed to include every word that's used uh, in, commonly in the English language. And so they, uh, they've actually had some other words before. Uh, BFF. FYI, TMI, LOL, and OMG. OED says these are noteworthy initialisms. Initialism. I didn't even know that was a word. Did they, did they officially add initialism? I think initialism is a new word. That, there's, where's the press release for that? Yeah. They're strongly <laughs> associated with the language of electronic communications. Actually, I thought it was kind of interesting. Is, is there any kind of communication other than electronic? I think not anymore. <laughs> That was kind of interesting because they trace, uh, th like, uh, OMG's trace back to 1911, its first use. FYI has been used in business since the 30s. So many of these are not that old. OMG has been used since when? 1911. No, I'm sorry, 1917. It well, first the roots of the phrase. Oh, okay, no, 1917. That makes a little more sense. I'm like, 1911? Yeah. No way. No, no. No way. No, not that yeah. far back. But, yeah, the, but the, the, great war was, the great war was coming, and people, yeah. Uh, researchers at the OED discovered that OMG appeared in a personal letter from 1917. LOL had a previous life in the 1960s. Remember, it stood for, you don't remember, you guys are all kids. It stood for little old lady. I do oh, remember yeah, that's that. different. That's different. You know, I don't see any of this on the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> well, it can't be real then. Uh, five uh, five years for uh, Twitter. Happy birthday. Um, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner are 80 this week. What? Yeah, that's what I said. WTF? That's uh, LOL. Okay, that's no, it's hard to believe they're that old, but in fact they are. I want to. Can we go back to the OMG thing really quickly? Yes. They said they found usage in a letter. So the 
OED people go through people's personal correspondence? They do, in after fact. Their, you okay. got to read. There's a great book, The Professor and the Mad Men. Okay. In which, uh, which talks about the roots of the OED, and they used all kinds of... Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be printed in a book to uh, become right. part of the language, and so they use all kinds of sources. Uh, and and they were at the time when they were doing this in the I guess it was the 30s. They were cutting up, you know, they'd take a book and they'd cut it up, and they had slips. They had this special thing built. They, I mean, it's an amazing story. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. So now they can just read the databases that the government keeps of all of our tweets. Right. Yeah, I don't okay. want to have my Facebook messages get into who knows whose hands. <laughs> oh, Marker, exactly. The OED. <laughs> In a private message, you know, Mark Cooker Patrick. <laughs> oh, dear. Shani Jardin is at boingboing.net. Please follow uh, her on... What's your Twitter handle, Shani? Shani Jardin. Oh, it's easy. X-E-N-I-J-A-R-D-I-N. Uh, and uh, you tweet good stuff. Links and so forth, too, which I like. I like it when people tweet links because then it populates my flipboard. Excellent. Or flipbook, whatever that is, on my iPad. In your cereal box. In my cereal box. That's what we want. You know, how long before an iPad's so cheap you could put it in the back of a cereal box? I grew up reading cereal boxes. It's just kind of the next thing. Makes perfect sense to me. Marshall Kirkpatrick writes for Read Write Web. ReadWriteWeb.com. So nice to have you again, Marshall. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and it's a, been a great conversation with all of us. It sure has. Really it's nice when we get smart, a, a bunch of smart people together. I'll exclude myself from that conversation, but not Baratunde Thurston, who is brilliant, as always. He's the mayor of all he surveys at, Barat <laughs> at baratunde.com. Yeah, Baratunde on Twitter. And I just thank you for putting me on this episode. Uh, Shenny, you're a hero. You're awesome. It's actually so great to be here. Marshall and I met many years ago out in Seattle at a conference, and I have loved uh, his work and what Read Write Web does uh, since then. So this is actually like... Uh, dining with heroes or something yeah. like that. And Leo, you're cool. So that's, uh, thank you very, very, very much, that's everybody. It, huh? That's all? Just cool. <laughs> no, you're, you're, I mean, you got, you know, you have digital things and stuff. No, Leo, obviously you're, uh, you're great. Oh, it's okay. You don't have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you guys on color. See you on color, baby. <laughs> don't forget, we, <laughs> we have, we had a great photo walk, by the way, yesterday. I understand uh, mostly Lisa did a great job. Uh, we're going to have uh, a, a video from that on mostly photo which is now Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time at live.twit.tv. That took the place of Net at Night, which has moved to Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Sarah Lane and Amber MacArthur, they've actually, are they calling it the social hour? I think they are. The social hour. So that's a new time and, uh, and a kind of a redesigned show to cover social media on live.twit.tv. I thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Another Twit this in the can. This is amazing. Thank you, everybody. And then the music. <laughs> All of that. And this is where we, we get our glow sticks out and we dance, right? That's what we, Eileen and I think of it as cooking. It's like a recipe. You know, I was just going to make a cooking analogy. Yeah, yeah, it's a little pinch of that. And, uh, oh, it's like jazz. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. so, we, so this is a good example. This show, we started with Marshall. And so Eileen and I think we'll, we'll think on Thursday, we'll kind of brainstorm, well, who do we, who do we want? And then she heard from, I think she heard from Baratunde. And we went, yes. And then, she, and then Jenny, and it was like, oh, oh, it was like, <laughs> bounce back. I'm happy oh. this time there was no but, earthquake during the... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad yeah. too. I'm By glad the too. way, someone on the chat room just reminded us, we never uh, did the LimeWire story. Oh, crap. Teased it.
Didn't, well, well didn't let me do the LimeWire story. I, I can't <laughs> believe I left it out. Did you read this story? So the music industry wants punitive damages on LimeWire. Remember, LimeWire is, they already put them out of business. It was the music sharing, you know, it was another peer-to-peer -peer sharing service. $75 trillion. So when you say that number, I think you're required to put your pinky at the corner of your mouth. Trillion. There you go. That's much better. Trillion. Yeah. 13 so, record I, companies, 75 trillion. But I, so I got to ask this question. This was, we're not a part of some kind of hoax situation here, right? This is not a piece of satire. No. Like this is. This, this is, is not really the happening. onion. Law. I don't know. Unless, unless law.com, maybe law.com is, is law.com is like the onion of law, but I don't think so. Federal judge. Wow. Okay. Kimba yeah. Wood, so who's, that's... yeah, she said it's absurd. So and what, what's the language of the, of the, uh, the claim here? They, they say, uh, LimeWire owes it trillions of dollars in damages for enabling the illegal distribution of 11,000 right. copyrighted songs. So, so they you know multiply. What else enables distribution, uh, electricity. Why aren't they suing the power companies? Sue the power companies, baby. Right. Uh, food, which powers people, so they should sue farmers. Uh, what's left of them? Uh, yeah, uh, what do you call it? Uh, metal, right? Because you need that to, to create the computers and the devices that downloaded this. Uh, and uh, what's the other thing? Souls, because it took people <laughs> to actually do this. This is ridiculous. How do you? How, well, for what it's worth, actually, I don't know that, that the people paper. behind LimeWire were were necessarily the most down-to-earth, responsible, no, reasonable people in the world either. Doesn't so even maybe, matter. Maybe we can all, you know, chuckle a little bit. Yeah, that seventy-five trillion dollars. That's well. I mean, that's you know, I, sh I should point out that Corey actually had an interesting item on uh, Boing Boing the other day on, on our blog, uh, pointing to Alex Wechselblatt at Copy Fight, who sort of picked apart this story that P2P sharing dropped 30% after LimeWire shut down. But in fact, the drop began a couple of years ago. LimeWire only shut down three months ago. So there's this sort of spin doctoring going on about how, how um, much of a positive effect this had. Right. I mean, the, the, the other yeah, thing is that the, the money comes from pure math uh, because there right. were 11,000 recordings and you get a certain amount per recording. So you really have to blame legislators. Yeah, you have to blame legislators who provided for such ridiculous uh, penalties for this stuff. Um, and, then, and then Torrent Freak wrote, if it's true, that music piracy dropped 30%, then why hasn't there been a rise in music sales? And if there wasn't right. one, that's uh, a good point. Points out, then why wasn't, then, then isn't the music industry wrong that piracy right. is the cause of, uh, of its financial crash? That's a good point, too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So now Someone, there's subscription uh, streaming services, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Three, at least three of us here use audio. Right. Jenny, what, sure. what do you do for music discovery and listening? Uh, can't say it because it's not necessarily legal all the time. <laughs> it's called BitTorrent, baby. It's called, yeah, no, no, sorry, guys, sorry she's still using a LimeWire. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you figure it out, you know my kids. My kids uh, used to use LimeWire, and I it's like, it wasn't it wasn't so much the legality of it because I give them an allowance to buy music on iTunes, and I said just buy, please, just buy the music because we want to support the artists, and they they would. Um, but I was more worried about about you know malware and stuff yeah, than yeah, anything else. So someone in the uh, chat room asked what the size of the national debt is. And according to the U.S. National Debt Clock website, which I cannot vouch for, I'm just reading, it is $14.2 trillion. So there you go. You'd wipe out the national debt four times, times over. over. Eight times over. Yeah. <laughs>
So maybe that's why the maybe the recording industry doesn't want this money for itself. It's going to collect these damages and then pay down the, the debt, debt, guys. Yeah. This is that's exactly what the RAA is playing. Yeah, right. It's all about limit. And then there's the same a similar story from uh, I think it was Bel the Belgian record industry. Which, uh, you know, they go around, ask at BMI if people do this in, in the U.S. They'll go around into stores, convenience stores. If they hear music playing on a radio, they'll say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. You, that has to be licensed to give us money or buy music. But you cannot just turn the radio on in a workplace, right? Because you're using free music and, to make music in your workplace. Yeah. So the, apparently, this, the, I think it was the Belgian music industry was going around. And they, and they went to truck drivers. They said, well, you're working. You can't. We. You have to pay a license fee for the music you listen to on the radio in your cab, your truck cab. No, you're kidding about that part. No. Though, right? No, I mean no. That's that's clearly in the list of examples of what would happen in a world where absurdist people, you know, ran the it's legislative. The, uh, it's an um, article from the Onion, except it's not. Oh, okay. Okay, so when do we take up digital arms? Yeah, no uh, kidding. Well, the good <laughs> news about this is when, when you ask for $75 trillion, all, you know, judge I mean, all, people you. just yeah. laugh. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, I'm, not sure, I, I'm not sure about the Belgian part. I have to find it's some, okay. some European nation. Chat room probably could tell me uh, where, this, where this happened. Belgium is a pretty... It, there's something to be said for for Belgium. It could be Belgium. Huh? The uh, the State Department puts out a list of like the 100 biggest threats internationally to the United States every year, and Belgium, and, uh, Belgians, yeah, <laughs> in particular, uh, are, are higher than the Communist Party of the United States is now. I fear Belgians. Well, they have. Uh, isn't that where the? Uh, no, it's not where the International okay. Criminal Court is. But it they, is. They it's Belgium. It is the Belgian Music Royalty Collection Agency, SABAM. S-A-B-A-M. That's a great name. Maybe you have to say it. Sabam! Sabam! This time awesome. they claimed like money. This is from a torrent freak, so you know it's true. Uh, they, <laughs> they claim money uh, from truck drivers because they're in a workplace. That's... Okay, this, I don't know how to not scream. I'm fighting. And the then the Belgian, the Belgian Parliament, Maggie de Bloch, member of the Belgian Parliament, in response to the claim says, that's utter nonsense. The truck drivers <laughs> don't need the radio so much for playing music, but for their safety. It is illogical that they should pay for it. Is it Ariana Huffington? No, it's Flemish. <laughs> Many people confuse, confuse the Flemish accent with Ariana's accent, which is just, just undefinable Euro trash accent. Um, I shouldn't yeah. say the word Euro trash. That's not nice. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, no one knows yet whether the truck drivers will have to pay. Sabam! <laughs> well, golly! I, I think they should change their demands. Like, don't ask for money. Make it required that when you say their name, you have to say Sabam! Sabam! That would, that would do so much more to improve their image. Give uh, me the, your money! Sabam! Sabam! Oh, right. I'm sorry. They've, I've been asked not to say Euro trash, but call it Euro garbage instead. Thank you. I'm sorry. Ah. ah. The trash is well, very that, offended by being called. By the, way, the chat room, there's, there's people in the chat room who said, well, if Leo says that, he should get kicked out of the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should. I said I made a 420 joke, too. I should be banned. Oh, you're rubbish. That's I what you're am rubbish. Yeah. So thank you. should be so banned. Sabam! <laughs> so we're that was the LimeWire story, right? Is there any other crazy angle? That's the story. Thank you for reminding me because seventy-five trillion is amazing. 
I get this. Well, thank you, chat room, for reminding me to remind Leo. It's a partnership, guys. We we work together. It's a it's a cooperative. <laughs> Isn't that what Kanye says? It's a partnership. <laughs> it's a partnership. <laughs>